0: welcome back to another episode of data science at home podcast i'm francesco podcasting from the not so usual office of shoreditch london we are in the barclays and techstars accelerator london 2020 with the primal io p-r-y-m-l dot io Primal is a platform that uh, allows data owners to share data without giving away confidentiality. So imagine how many applications one could build without personal data or, generally speaking, confidential data to be disclosed ever. Sharing data is very dangerous. And in this episode, I'm going to tell you why. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Well, there are very good reasons why a, for example, financial institution should never share their data. Actually, they should never move their data. Well, first of all, let's state the obvious. In the 21st century, almost every human action produces a digital footprint. Social media, online purchases, and many other things, you know, digital banks, many other things that play a very important role in our daily life. So these footprints that we, all of us are living are clearly out of control in the sense that nobody can avoid their creation. Think about your phone It's actually creating data without your consent you know you don't put consent every time that your phone is communicating your gps coordinate or to, to someone else or sending even more personal information about the way you use your fingers on on your screen right well these footprints as i said are out of our control and they cannot be avoided. And uh, in fact, uh, if I want to think about something that is even more serious, for example, bank records, the bank records of a person who checks their account balance on their mobile, well, that tells a very nice story about what this person is doing with their money, what are their spending habits, uh, what she or he purchases at a particular day, uh, at particular day of the week or a particular hour of the day, uh, and you know, disclosing simply personal information. So what one can ask and uh, what, in fact, the GDPR regulations are trying to help with is that we always know who has our information and what that information is about. You know, that's what the regulation says. And so still, according to the same regulation, consumers can ask to, you know, to get it back. It's called opt out. Now, the problem and, uh, you know, where it gets (laughs) really complicated is what we are going to call data marketplace. Now, the data marketplace is something that is happening already. It's just under our nose. We just don't really see it every day because it's kind of sneaky. So imagine this scenario, a bank that needs third party vendors to develop some sort of business application. Let's call it a fraud detector algorithm. Now, for this, the third-party vendor, the so-called fintech vendors, right? Well, they need to get access to data of millions of credit card transactions, probably from millions of different users. And so the bank will ask users to give consent to the use of their data for these third-party interactions, but the user has no real way of knowing who is actually seeing it and what exactly they are seeing. So the bank and the third-party vendor sign a contract which supposedly is keeping the data, let's call it safe. (laughs) Now, it is visible to an undisclosed number of people. We really don't know what safe means in that particular case. So the third-party vendor at this point might aggregate this data from the user bank with uh, data from other banks or data from social media or just other sources that, you know, the fintech vendor has access to or purchased. And at this point, who owns the integrated version of this data? Because now this data is not really, you know, anonymous if the bank anonymized this data, or, well, it might no longer be anonymous. So each additional processing makes the regulatory grasp on this data much more difficult, and the compliance much more abstract. The user's data, which they could not help but give to the bank for an activity Ingrained in our way of life, for example, the fraud analytics engine or the uh, spending habit prediction or the overdraft prediction, you know, these are all super fancy applications that unfortunately, the, even though these applications are out there and they are very useful, there's another downside of this, which is the data. Well, the user's data is in the wild. All right, so back to the interaction between the bank and the fintech vendor. Well, the terms of agreement between the bank and all its customers regarding data sharing must specify the scope and the specific business case for which you know, that data has been shared. This is, again, what the GDPR is asking for. Problem is that once the data is out of the bank, what do people do is usually signing contracts, sign NDAs, to cover so-called the chain of evidence. But this is only in theory, because in practice, and let's be frank, from a technological perspective, the data is out in the world. Now, customers may agree to share their data with one entity for a particular use case. And down the line, they might find that their data has been shared with many other entities without their consent. So these are very frequent scenarios whenever it comes to data integration, especially with multiple parties who integrate heterogeneous data sources, which means data sources that have different signals from different domains just related to the same individual or the same phenomenon they are describing. There are frequent accounts of legal terms at financial institutions scrambling to update their terms of service to reflect the ever expanding data sharing activities or of data innovation departments but you know this is a very fast moving area and uh, making mistakes is terribly easy financial institutions without you know rocking solid data processes and policies can find themselves in violation of their own customer contracts very, very easily. So let's go back to those NDAs that I mentioned before. Well, a bank has no real technological means to ensure that third party vendors are not sharing their data with other parties. And so such a violation would be extremely hard to track down in practical terms. Because in fact, the bank, though they are the custodian of this data, or probably the owner according to some other regulations, they still cannot control what this third party is doing with the data they just shared. This is just to stay practical, right? I'm not here to judge about the legal terms of this, probably it is illegal indeed to share, but from a practical perspective, this is possible. One of the biggest concerns stemming from the GDPR is the fact that some requirements are at the moment impossible to comply with, and I'm telling this from a technological perspective. In other words, despite a bank's best efforts, there is no technical solution that would ensure the privacy of their users once the data leaves the bank servers. This is already very bad, but let's not forget that there are even darker corners in the internet where hackers are definitely trying to find a way into these treasures and gold mines of financial institutional data. So you might say, yeah, but the bank has the best sophisticated firewalls in existence, which is true. But sharing data means copying data over and over and putting data in places with decreasing security measures like the cloud or third party vendor server or Excel spreadsheets. Really, we have seen this happening. So a hacker could stop worrying about the bank's security measures because they just need to find these third party vendors and just hack them. So the hacker would be extremely grateful at this point because this data is not only more accessible, easier to get, but probably already model ready. It has been wrangled from multiple data lakes in the bank and aggregated into a friendly and clean and compact form, very well integrated with other sources, as we said, because it has been shared and integrated. So, you know, this is amazing and amazingly easy. We have already written about this, and please check the blog at primal.io, P-R-Y-M-L.io. There is a post in the blog which we titled, Are Anonymized Data Really Anonymous? And it describes, in technical terms, the illusion of anonymization as a solution to all of this. What banks and, generally speaking, data owners who want to share their data are doing as we speak is removing fields from the data encoding them with so-called dummy labels. Now, all this is really child's play in the face of a data marketplace where data aggregators are for sale, where single user data can be re-identified very, very easily and accurately from a myriad data sources related to online or offline activities. And so even anonymized data can be re-identified just by rejoining these tables altogether and uh, boom, you get the personal identifiable information that you try to anonymize in the first place. At Primal, we believe we have a solution to all this, and it's called synthetic data. But more on that in our next episode. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.